So if you've been listening to these podcasts, you know that uh, Pastor Brendan Glass and I are discussing the book, Jesus and the Disinherited. And, and the last um, on the last page of this chapter titled Deception, uh, Thurman says, sincerity in human relations is equal to, if not the same, as sincerity to God. And I, I just want to preface what you're about to listen to with that idea of sincerity. One of the goals that Brendan and I have in this podcast and a lot of our conversations that we've recorded is to show people what it looks like to be sincere. And what that doesn't look like is being in agreement all the time or even feeling like we have everything figured out. Uh, so I, I preface this podcast with that. Just to remind you uh, that these are... Uh, conversations kind of in a raw uh, where we are sometimes challenging each other try sometimes figuring things out together thinking about things together and not always agreeing on things together that being the case there's not an expectation for the listeners to always agree with either him or I uh, but to come uh, to these conversation or even books that um, are written by anybody for that matter with uh, an open mind and a heart set on um, even serving God or filtering out what is ever being said or written, uh, hopefully with the wisdom that God has given you. So I uh, just want to preface this podcast with that, and I hope you enjoy this time and are able to learn and grow from it. Thanks. I want to welcome you to the First Church Podcast. I am here with my friend, Pastor Brendan Glass, the pastor of Span Ministries here in Talmadge, Ohio, um, our neighbor across the street uh, from First Church, and glad to have him back. We have been reading together, really just discussing together, and if uh, you ever want to read this book, we encourage you to do so, Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman. Uh, what Howard Thurman is doing in this book is um, he is addressing what Jesus has to say um, to the disinherited, those who he says has their backs up against the wall. Uh, and so uh, last week we talked about fear. This mm -hmm. week's deception, just uh, in case you're curious. Uh, next week is hate, and then the last is love. Yes. And, uh, so, Brendan, I, I want you to get, to get us started and uh, begin with talking about what um, mm -hmm. Thurman has to say about deception. This is, this is, you know, like I said last week, last week that was, fear was probably my favorite chapter, um, mainly because of all of the practical applications and the new way to kind of see ourselves and how we deal with fear and how fear is a constant force in the lives of those who have their backs up against the wall. But this chapter right here gets deep. Like, in my opinion, this is where you realize that Thurman is a philosopher. Like, and he looks at things very philosophically, and he looks at the words of Jesus in a way that, you know, we just don't. <laughs> you yeah. know, we say, okay, what did Jesus say? What did it mean? How do I apply it to our lives? And he looks at it from a, like a wider angle lens where it's just like okay what are the social implications of what jesus said okay what was the jesus those are the audience that jesus was talking to and how would they have heard what he said and this is one of those chapters where you start reading and it's like okay where are you going with this where are you going with this where are you going with this and then it's just kind of like oh wow i see how that is an issue um because you know when we talk about deception he's not really talking about deception how we normally think about it where it's just like okay being untruthful or lying um he's talking about deception as a defense mechanism yeah for survival and it's just like whoa <laughs> like yeah. 
it's almost sounds like initially it almost sounds like he's redeeming <laughs> the act of deceiving on the front end yeah, of the chat on the front, on end, the front yeah. of the book and mm-hmm. it's like okay yeah you and fear was kind of like that <laughs> yeah. too you uh-huh. so you know as we talk about deception and any of this you know if you if you are listening or watching hold on yeah because you know like <laughs> like we're going to describe what yeah. why deception is helpful to those who have their backs up against the wall or who are struggling or who are down and out or whatever yeah um, but yeah, keep going. So. Yeah, no, cool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, that, so that's when it was, it kind of hit me. So just kind of to help the listeners understand, um, you know, kind of the examples that he gave early on is how, you know, a a a student in the classroom might not be prepared for a discussion or a test or something like that, and the class is is and the teacher's ready to make that transition. Now, instead of the student raising their hand and saying, look, I am not prepared mm-hmm. to discuss this. I'm not prepared for his homework. I don't understand it. Yeah. What the student would do is ask the teacher something that will get the teacher talking in a way yeah. that class will run out before the teacher gets to what they want to do. I'm guilty. I did that. Oh, yeah. So I mean, often. who didn't, right? <laughs> I did that so often. Wait a minute. The teacher didn't collect the homework. Okay. Yeah. How can we? How, oh, look like they about to go to their list of things to do. And, yeah. uh, Teacher, can I ask you a question? And next thing you know, the bell rings. And he's saying that's mm-hmm. a form of deception for the simple for for self preservation purposes. Yeah, we uh, another example he uses quickly. He doesn't really explain it. Is that we see our kids doing this, mm-hmm. especially probably with overly harsh parents. Mm-hmm. And so I think about that myself sometimes. If I feel like I'm being overly harsh on mm-hmm. my kids, and so I see them to start sneak around, sneaking mm-hmm. around to do certain things, I do ask myself like. Are they sneaking around to do this because I'm overly harsh concerning this topic or whatever yeah. that I don't want them to do, or are they doing it just because they're kids and yeah. you know yeah, they're yeah. yeah they're depraved and you know, like but yeah I do wonder that yeah I mean yeah. I think a lot of pastors pastors parents yeah. uh-huh. have that uh, parental insecurity every once in a while it's just uh-huh. like wait you're supposed to be a little angel you're not supposed to be you're not supposed to be, you know, uh, you're not supposed to have sin in you. You're a child. You're yeah. precious and you're pure and you're uh-huh. holy. Wait a minute. The sin, sin nature is not in you. Yeah. So then we start questioning ourselves. Yeah. Like, I, I do the same thing yeah. all the time. Like, what did I do to make you act this mm-hmm. way when I didn't know anything? Yeah. It's just that they just are in a situation where they're like, you know, I want what I want or I don't yeah. feel empowered to use a yeah. thermonism. I don't feel empowered to be able to ask for what I want on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the way I'm gonna go about getting it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so I and I think so. Over harsh, overly harsh parents. I don't know if you grew up with people like this. Like I grew up with some people whose parents were like overly protective mm-hmm. and overly harsh. Mm-hmm. And like I watched them do things like in high school, middle school. I'm like, man, my parents let me do just. I mean, my parents were pretty, pretty. They let me do a lot. And so I would never thought of done like to yeah. doing that. Like, like yeah. I have some restraint, like I'm not going to deceive mm-hmm. my parents. I don't feel like I have to, mm-hmm. if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Oh, but, it makes yeah. perfect sense. I mean, yeah. because it's, you know, it, growing up for me, it was the preacher's kids. You know, the preacher kids, they yeah. always were the one, the worst kids. Yeah. I'm know? scared of that. I'm scared of like <laughs> oh. creating that, you know, like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's just, that's their, you know I mean? They have to operate like that because I think the, the, the fear uh, that they live in of you know I, I have to I have to present myself like this way I have to operate like this there's this pressure on me to be like this and be like that 
Um, so I have to kind of overcompensate in terms of acting a certain way around them. When yeah, when, but when I get around my friends, mm-hmm. you know, it's a completely different world. And the question that Thurman gets to when it comes to that is, well, who's the real you? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> who's the real you? And that's what he is saying is the damaging part of the deception. Who's the real you? You know. Um, so just to kind of give an illustration, because you know, uh, thinking to myself, my dad told me just so everyone can kind of understand this idea of deception and how it kind of plays out in um in uh, with, with those who are disinherited or backs up against the wall um a couple my dad you know he's in his 70s now and you know he just likes to drop knowledge on me and wisdom and just give me stuff and one day he's like brendan i want to tell you something he was like um your grandfather you know he was from the south mm-hmm. and um you know your grandfather and you know his cousins brothers whatever he says, whenever they drove a nice car, whenever they drove a nice car, whenever anybody had a nice car or a Cadillac or something like that, a mm-hmm. Lincoln, um, they always had to have two outfits. You know, one outfit was just their normal clothes, and another outfit was a chauffeur's uniform. Mm-hmm. And I was like, he was like, you know, why you have the where the sh- why they had the chauffeur's uniform? Well, I can kind of guess. Yeah. He was like, yeah. He was like. Because if they go into certain neighborhoods driving a uh-huh. nice car, they're probably going to get messed with. They're mm-hmm. probably going to be harassed. The police yeah. may pull them over. Some jealous, poor white folk may steal the car from them or lynch them because mm-hmm. of jealousy or something like that. So they had a chauffeur's outfit. Yeah. So in those neighborhoods, they can put those things on so they wouldn't be messed with. So yeah. that's kind of an illustration of what Thurman is talking about when it comes about deception. It's like deception for deception for survival. Yeah. Yeah. But what Thurman addresses and what he talks about is how damaging that can be, mm-hmm. you know, for the individual, yeah. you know, in that in that particular case. Yeah. You ever heard anything like that before? You know, I had not thought about <laughs> most of the things that Thurman thought, talks about mm-hmm. as deeply as he thinks about them or. Um, yeah. And, and the way that he thinks about them. So that's why I want to talk about this book with you and even just spend some time myself like thinking about it. But yeah, he sees deception as a tool for the disinherited or for those who feel like they're their backs against the wall, for those mm-hmm. who feel, you know, oppressed, bullied, whatever it might be as a tool for survival. Yes. Like, so that's why they deceive. Now, obviously people deceive for other reasons, but at, on a whole, I think he's, he's completely right. Like, you know, at some point in time, if you think your life depends on it, um, either telling the truth or mm-hmm. deceiving mm-hmm. somebody or, you know, whether or not you can drive like a, a car, right, mm-hmm. um, in a neighborhood that you uh, um, would like to drive it in and you know that it poses a risk to you, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. going to do what you can to get through that neighborhood yeah. safely. He talks about uh, um, uh, how, uh, obvious, you know, I don't know what year he wrote this book, but, you know, a story of a... Um, it sounds like a young black man who was killed and, and they weren't allowed to have the funeral. Yeah. Um, and so they, they they weren't allowed to have the funeral uh, because they were afraid of riots. And so they decided basically, I guess, I, from what I can tell, they weren't allowed to eulogize at the funeral. Mm-hmm. So they kind of had the funeral, but it's more, it sounds like it's being more of a prayer service. And so mm-hmm. he said what the pastor did is the, the entire service was just prayer. Mm-hmm. And he said everything uh 
that he would have said in a sermon mm -hmm. during his yeah. prayer. Yeah. And so the the authorities and all of, all of those those people they they couldn't really do anything about right. it, mm -hmm. you know. And it's really kind of ingenious. Mm -hmm. All right, we're not going to have a traditional funeral. We're not going to eulogize or or do we're, we're going to we're going to do what you've asked us to do, but mm -hmm. not really. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. um, uh, which that is a right. I think that's an example of like, hey, that's really understandable. Mm -hmm. Why? They would do that, and how even if there's coping mechanism and a mechanism of survival, mm -hmm. you want to be able to eulogize people. You want to be able to put people into the ground. I mean, even COVID, what we're dealing with COVID, right. not being able to do funerals and stuff like that, or having not done some, it's been very painful for people. And this is a this is a very situ serious situation here. Um, an example. Uh, what else do you have to say about that? Yeah, man. So like, yeah. So he gives a couple examples where he kind of addresses that need to deceive. Um, on 61, it was a, well, I think it's your 71, it's a very powerful one, um, where it's kind of the, I guess, it's, I don't know if it's a fictional or actual conversation between a slave, but it talks about how one of the uh, Negro spirituals are written um, about a conversation between a slave and a master, and the slave had to reason with himself, well, hey, wait a minute, um, I believe I'm going to heaven, but, you know, I, I can't, I can't fathom there being two heavens because there's only one God. And he reasoned to himself, well, I know I'm going to heaven because I'm living in heaven and earth. And he was like, well, the slave man's like, he got to be going to heaven. Or he got to be going to hell because he's living his heaven right now. Mm -hmm. And he says, like, he sp explains, like, because this is a Negro spiritual. Um, and the uh, the lyrics are, you know, just kind of, I guess, to be able to express his belief in heaven and how it's going to go down instead of going up to the slave master or going around saying to everyone look we're going to heaven that slave master's going to hell instead mm -hmm. of saying that you know it's mm -hmm. i got shoes you got shoes all got children's got shoes when we get to heaven going to put on our shoes and shout all over god's heaven shout all over god's heaven um and then it says he looks up to the big house and says everybody talking about heaven ain't going there <laughs> That's, uh, yeah <laughs> now uh -huh. that is the way you know in this like the example you're giving with the funeral it's i am not being straightforward you know, mm -hmm. which is a form of deception. Now, I'm yeah. not being straightforward. I am saying what I want to say in a roundabout way so I can make my point, but not get in trouble for it. Yeah. You know, not yeah. have to not ha have rebuke or have the, the mm -hmm. funeral shut down for it. Yeah. And, you know, it was one of the, you know, that just kind of, you know, I guess what he's saying, that's kind of like a universal human ability. <laughs> yeah, this is like, not just something like it was mm -hmm. part of the African American experience. Right. You know, this is what we do mm -hmm. as human beings when we feel like we are powerless or when we feel like we don't have an opportunity to tell the truth. Right. When we feel like that now, because right. he's going to, he actually, he, he, yeah, he goes on to say right under that, he says, it is an old defense, mm -hmm. an old, old defense of the weak against the strong. The question of deception is not academic, but profoundly ethical mm -hmm. and spiritual, going to the very heart of human relations, for it raises the issue of honesty, integrity, consequences thereof, over and against duplicity and deception, and the attendant consequences. Does the fact that a particular course of action jeopardizes man's life relieve him of the necessity for following that course of action? Um, and basically here now he's actually kind of going to lay out uh, um, the, the questions that he seeks to answer. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's sympathetic, which is interesting. He's sympathetic to those who are deceiving, who are acting in deceptive ways. But 
he he's going to come around and say like well jesus doesn't seem to that doesn't just that doesn't seem to be the direction that jesus goes and so um and so he asks these questions he says are there circumstances under which the ethical question is irrelevant besides the point if so where does where does one draw the line Mm -hmm. is there a fine distinction between literal honesty and the honesty and spirit and intent or is truth telling largely a matter of timing are there times when to tell the truth is to be false and the truth that is in you these questions and many related ones will be will not be downed for the disinherited they have to do with the heart of survival so these are not like for for uh, thurman like these aren't trivial questions right. uh, uh, for us to to tackle or or to think about um so he maybe i don't know if you made marks on these because uh, like you said this is kind of a dense chapter um but i do think pretty good he says basically there are kind of there are three ways in this mm-hmm. um and so basically kind of like two alternatives or, or or basically yeah three ways to kind of deal with what you're going to do with deception or truth telling mm-hmm. um do you remember what he says about the first or do you kind of all right let me see you might, might it, ask mine questions. on page yeah mine on page 52 <laughs> or if you want to explain that because i think this is really interesting so page 52 on mine it says the first alternative is to accept the apparent fact that one situation being what it is, there's no sensible choice offered. Mm-hmm. And so the individual who is disadvantaged or the individual is disadvantaged because he is not a okay. member of the party in power, the dominant controlling group. So basically I think what he goes on to say here is that like telling the truth doesn't matter. Right. What matters is kind of winning, surviving, right. um, getting to the point where like say what you want, do what you want. Uh, living is the most important thing right and in, um, and, and what he's you know and, and it's he's taking on a first person perspective of the disinherited mm-hmm. where it's like it almost there is no choice yeah you know you're in a position where there is no choice but to be to operate in that way which is deceptive um which is he begin this is kind of when he's beginning to kind of shift the, the his tone a little bit and talk about how damaging it is mm-hmm. but he's also talking about why you know, people continue to do this because, like mm-hmm. I said, you know, um, there is, he said, there is no sensible choice offered, you know, yeah. right before he goes into that. Um, the individual is disadvantaged because he's not a member of the party in power. Um, so for him, it's like this individual that is in that position. I mean, and that is, and I, I think that is just one of those other statements that is just universal. You know, a lot of times we just get into these positions where we feel like I have no choice. It's yeah. either survival or this. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think I, we living with the hope of Jesus Christ don't know what that feels like to a certain extent. Like, where we just don't have a choice. Because he talks about that. He says it, uh, I'm going to go back mm-hmm. a little bit. He says, it may be argued that a man who places a high price upon physical existence and survival, that he is willing to per- perjure his own soul has a false or at least an inadequate sense of values. Now, when we have Christ, you know, we have those higher sense of values. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't have to have the big house in Miami because yeah. I got a mansion in heaven. Like, it was, it was, it was, uh-huh. you know, we just kind of talk ourselves through life like that to live to live as Christ, to die as gain. Yeah. You know, um, so like to a certain extent, like we almost can't even fathom, you know, what the people were like that Jesus was talking to you know, kind of place this dignity inside of them and he's given it to them. Mm-hmm. 
saying, no, you, 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 there's more to this. Don't think that this is it. What, yeah. what profit a man to gain the whole world and lose, lose his soul? soul. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, that's what he talks about. So I think he, like he's asking, he's, he's giving these alternatives, but he, mm-hmm. he prefaces it with that. Like you have a soul. And so basically with that paragraph there, I think he's, he's kind of teeing up a little bit, like yeah. be careful about what you give in, give, give into because mm-hmm. you have, you have a soul, like you are a moral being and you are an eternal being and you are being made into that yeah. person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so be careful not to become, uh, and we can talk about this more, but I mean, it was basically kind of where he gets to be careful not to become the type of person who is dece- like, who is a deceiver. Yeah. Like who is a liar. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he says it's 53 on my book in the first place, it tends to destroy. So the type of person who just is kind of constantly deceiving all the time, even if it is to primarily survive, um, tends to destroy whatever sense of ethical values the individual possesses. So it's actually, you know, you're, you are losing yourself is Mm -hmm. what he's talking about here. It's a simple fact of psychology that if a man calls a lie, the truth, he tampers dangerously with his value judgments. Yes. That's deep. Yeah. That's deep. I mean, because, you know, he goes on a little bit further and he talks about it. He says, uh, you know, if you, if, if you continue to call, he's talking about Jesus' uh, interactions with um, his critics. He was mm-hmm. like, you know, if you continue to call good bad, eventually that's going to jack up your perception of what is good and what is bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the same thing that happens when it comes to deception. If you continue to operate in deception, then that's really going to jack up how you perceive reality. Yeah. And that has profound implications, Josh, when it comes to those that are backs up against the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, he talks about that a little later. Um, but profound implications where it's like, if I operate as subservient long enough, knowing that's not true mm-hmm. eventually it becomes true yeah and i begin to act and operate in subserv in uh, subservience even though it is not natural to my soul but it's just, it just becomes instinct yeah. so before i know it you know carter g woodson says you, the goal is not to get someone to ask to you know can i you know do i have to go to the back door because i'm black uh-huh. carter g woodson says no the goal is to have someone feeling so low and so subservient that they naturally go there themselves. Mm-hmm. And that is that is what this idea of, you know, the lie becoming the truth. Yeah. See, I almost feel like that part fits into almost the next one, the compromise mm-hmm. sort yeah. of thing. So because he talks about, we'll get to that in a second. He talks about, and maybe I'm wrong, so you can tell me if I'm wrong <laughs> uh, or if you think I'm wrong here. Uh, next kind of, he talks about compromises. Like we're willing to do some things Mm -hmm. to be at peace in these other areas. Uh, so like, right. Convincing yourself, like it's okay to go the back door Mm -hmm. at this point in time, because I I don't feel like going to the back door or not going to the back door is worth my trouble than going to the front door. Like I'm going to challenge other things. I'm not going to challenge going to the back door. Does that make sense? It does. But the point Maybe, I'm making, okay. yeah, the point I'm making uh-huh. is when the deception. So, for example, uh-huh. I'm black, you're white. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
the 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 perception is I'm a better athlete than you. Well, it may be true. No, it's not. <laughs> I didn't play college football, man. It is not true at all. <laughs> but the perception uh-huh. is. Yeah. Now let's just We can talk about that for a second too, yeah, if you want. Actually, go ahead. Of course. Because I'm actually I was actually really upset about that in undergrad. Go seriously. <laughs> go ahead, talk about it. Because we can talk well, about let's it. Let's talk about it. We can yeah. switch it. Mm-hmm. Um but that's the perception. Uh-huh. That's now let's just say that was the cultural mm-hmm. the cultural acceptance that was forced upon you. Mm-hmm. It was forced upon you. Like it's just yeah. forced upon you so much so that you had to accept it. Okay. You had no choice except uh-huh. it. Like there's some type of pressure, yeah. some type of external pressure that yeah. was forcing you to accept. We ain't had none race. Uh-huh. We ain't lived into the weight room. Yeah. We ain't did anything. Yeah. But just you are forced to accept mm-hmm. that for your own well-being, uh-huh. your own safety, yeah. your own livelihood, or yeah. just some type of thing. Now, now I've deceived myself into even believing that that all black that yes. all black people are better athletes than me. Exactly. Yeah. Or is for instance, like I enjoyed playing football, are better football, better players, football players than me. So I'll share kind of about that. So when I went to undergrad, <laughs> yes, I was a defensive back, uh-huh. and so a fairly mixed group there. And the first week we were there, maybe the first three or four days, um, we had like our own freshman practices and the vars- varsity had pr- practices. Mm-hmm. And um, guess who got to go out of the freshman with the varsity? And who had to go with the freshmen. So like in the defensive backs, especially, all of the black players mm-hmm. got to go with the varsity. Mm-hmm. All of the white players, mm-hmm. except for and maybe a few of the black players, had to go with the freshmen. Mm-hmm. Like it really upset me. <laughs> it really did. Because yeah. it's like, like, wait a second. Oh. You have no idea if they're better than me. Right. And I'm very competitive. Mm-hmm. And so like, uh, yeah. And I... I started before the everybody, like not just like the black players, but I started as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, after we got so, but my it wasn't yeah. It, this is weird, right? This is an athlete that is still competitive. Um, but I remember thinking like, well, wait a second, right? But the only way I could actually beat them out or anybody outright is is to play, is to get on a level playing field, right? Now um, imagine if mm-hmm. you were forced, yeah, by the university. To accept that, even though you knew it wasn't true, and they say accept this, mm-hmm. or we make sure you never play football ever again at any university in the country. Yeah, or let or we want to, we'll make it so you don't even go to any other school mm-hmm. anywhere else in the country. And not only are you not only do you have to accept that the black players are better, mm-hmm. but you know you're going to have to, uh, you know you're going to have to carry their pads. Mm-hmm. And you're going to yeah. have to, you know, it's just like this whole culture yeah. built around these athletes are better yeah. than you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and on average, I would even, I would even admit on average, black people are probably better athletes than white people. I mean, you just look at professional sports, mm-hmm. like, or at least the ones that we enjoy here in the United States. Um, I mean, I, I'm not willing, I'm not unwilling to say like on average, yes, yeah. but on- but there needs to be fair and that's the great thing about sports. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. and, and that's really what Thurman is getting to to mm-hmm. a certain extent. Like there needs to be level playing level. ground. Yep. And right. and that's that is the beautiful thing about sports. Like coaches, teams, mm-hmm. all of those sorts of things. In reality, they want to win. Yeah. And so like in most instances, not all, right? You're going to get a shot. 
mm-hmm. um, no matter your the color of your skin. Yeah, nowadays. Uh, nowadays, yeah, <laughs> nowadays. It was not like that always, no, no. obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah. So yeah. So the so the, it's just that mm-hmm. idea, you know, of I have to accept this, even though some a part of me knows it's not true. Mm-hmm. I have to accept that these black kids are better, mm-hmm. even though there's a part of me that knows it's not true. If you have to, if you're forced to live that as a life, then the unfortunate thing that Harmony, that, that Thurman is saying is that lie will become your truth. Mm-hmm. And how many, to use the example, how many athletes, black or white, never reached their full potential, not because they didn't get opportunity, but because they internalized that they're not good enough. Mm-hmm. They internalized it. Yeah. Um, and that internalization is what makes it so, oh, you get your shot, but they're intimidated when they get on the field. Oh, you got mm-hmm. your shot, but, you know, they're so afraid of getting benched mm-hmm. that they're no good on the field. Yeah. You know, um, and it's all because they had to force themselves they had to force, or they had not force themselves, but they were forced mm-hmm. to accept something and fall in line with something that's not true. So, yeah, so I, I can see that he's talking about that too. And maybe, maybe I've misread this as well, but I also feel like he is, he is talking about the idea that like you will continue, not only that you will believe those sorts of things that are untrue about you. So let's say like you are a really good athlete, football player, whatever, but now you will play like a bad athlete or mm-hmm. so you will you will say things that are untrue you will do mm-hmm. things that are untrue mm-hmm. you'll believe things that are mm-hmm. untrue and you'll perpetuate things that are untrue yes um uh the yeah the idea that you'll become a deception he says all sense of moral discrimination is impaired or spoiled he used the the word vitated mm-hmm. which yeah, the second time he's done that um he likes that word i've never used it before um so and he says a man who lies be hit, uh, habitually becomes a lie and is increasingly impossible for him to know when he is lying and when he is not exactly um speaking of football i had a guy on our high school football team and he was growing up in a kind of a little bit of a smaller town and a close-knit community mm-hmm. I, I could see how you would want to lie to try to fit in and stuff but, i mm-hmm. mean he was just a habitual liar i mean mm-hmm. everything every word that came out of his mouth was a lie and everybody on the team knew it yeah. and so sometimes you just ask questions just to hear crazy stories that we knew weren't true yeah, yeah, yeah. um but it's interesting like we knew everybody knew he was a liar except for him yeah <laughs> uh, it was like it was really know it, you know like it was, it was such a weird thing to do like yeah. even, like again on the on football games my, one of my buddies would sit by him and we'd sit around him mm-hmm. and he'd just ask random questions that we all knew like the answer was just going to be a lie but it was so outrageous and so crazy <laughs> and stuff like we just sat around to listen like yeah. we stopped calling him out on him like yeah like, <laughs> you know he yeah. be, he became a lie so like culturally though I am wondering do you feel like we I don't know. How are we doing that, like, culturally? And that's a good question. I was actually thinking of a great example of that. And, you know, it. we can think about even men and our sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know? Because, like, the, the, the cultural norm is, you know, men are sex-addicted. Men are sex-crazed. Men... Uh, have to engage in pornography. Men have to do all this other stuff. So just imagine if you are a guy where your sex drive 
does not mirror or you don't have that desire to do those particular things, but you want to be accepted, you want to be okay, you don't want to be labeled as soft or anything like Uh that. So, yeah, culturally, yeah, that's where a situation where you will begin to lie to yourself to the extent that you have to start doing things to back up the lie. Mm-hmm. You have to start sleeping with girls to back up the lie. Yeah, you got to start talking to certain states, start, uh, you know, saying and, and 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 operating in certain things to back up that lie. Um, I've I've had to have counsel guys, uh-huh. you know, where it's just like, man, I just feel like I have to live up to some standard, you know, to be accepted. If I'm, I feel like I'm less than a man, even, uh-huh. and that's a lie. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so many men kind of get caught up in that lie that in order for me to really be a man i have to become this sex addicted sex craze sleep on too many girls things like uh-huh. i have to become that yeah. when most of them if they were given an option that they could be okay not be that way they probably would have taken that option especially at that age of 13 14 15 mm-hmm. you know when the hormones start raging it's like wait you know there's a you don't have to be that way. you don't have yeah. to put your health in risk you don't have to put your livelihood at risk there's so many guys do that, and the next thing you know, you know, you got your men who have been operating in that life for so long for whatever reason, and now you know they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, still trying to be a playboy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they became the yeah. lie. So that's just one example. Um, but I think everywhere you go, you just kind of see this pressure, and in so many in different arenas, you see this pressure that I I, I have to function within this lie that lie can become your truth not careful Mm -hmm. what maybe things do you think are not just harming individuals maybe something like that which i I think that harms communities as well but what what sorts of lies maybe there aren't you can think of that harm communities or people that we are telling ourselves Mm. um that we are saying is true, mm-hmm. but in reality, it's it's not true, and we're deceiving ourselves, and we're we're kind of we are yeah. we are now <laughs> the the chickens are coming home to roost, yeah. and we're seeing that like oh wait a second, this actually didn't produce what we thought it would. <laughs> Man, I mean, you so you talking about in terms of community? And yeah, yeah. I mean, America's the greatest country in the world. Huh. <laughs> like. Who says that? Who has declared that? How do you measure that? By what scale are you using that? America's the greatest country in the world. So guess what happens when we're told that our entire lives and we're made to feel like we're not the greatest country in the world? We feel like the country's falling apart. <laughs> we literally feel as though the country's falling apart. We literally feel as though, oh my gosh, you know, we're about to become Rome because we're no longer the greatest country in the world or people aren't saying we're the greatest country in the world. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms every statistic that matters about uh, livelihood, I don't think we rank up there in the top. Health, yeah, we have advanced health and ad- you know health mm-hmm. advances stuff like yeah. that, but we're the most obese nation in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Vi- violence. We are the most violent nation in the world in terms of gun violence and things of that nature. Yeah, we have our redeeming points. We're better than everybody else. But livelihood, value system. I remember once I had a friend who was uh, from Zimbabwe. Huh. What's better? Af- Zimbabwe or America? He was like, the material stuff is better here, but the quality of life is so much better in Zimbabwe. Huh. Like, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, okay, what's most important to us? 
So what happens is, you know, that is a lie that we tell ourselves that, you know, we are superior, we're the dominant, we're the uh-huh. best, in, you know, uh, for whatever reason. And whenever that feels threatened, you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You tear up the capital. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's an, I didn't even think about that more because I'm, I'm sympathetic towards that a little bit, obviously. I don't think we're we're perfect, but I don't think there's another place I'd rather live. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like I mean, so, yeah. so, I mean, so like, me. yeah, yeah. That, so, so yeah. but I mean, even like from a, a freedom, material, spiritual standpoint, all those sorts of things. I mean, I feel like God called me to be a missionary. Like, it's not that I couldn't be spiritually healthy somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I don't think the United States is outside of criticism whatsoever. Like, I think we should be able to criticize what and who we want. Um, so, yeah, I, I would need to think about that more. Um, you know, I, one of the things that like I think about with this is like when it comes to like cultural lies, I think people are believing like it's, it's okay, okay to like have kids out of wedlock mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I feel like these are lies that we're telling ourselves and believing and it's really harming people and everybody has a different situation and different things happen to them and all those sorts of things. Um, but like, yeah, I think that's a a lie yeah. um uh to make us i don't know to, yeah and maybe you know and i guess maybe this is a different topic <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah I was, I was thinking about that yeah i mean that's mm-hmm. definitely because of what happens once that stigma gets on you you know kids outside of wetlock then it becomes it's okay to have kids outside of wetlock, mm-hmm. you know um then it becomes then you have all kinds of factors that will encourage kids outside of wedlock. Mm-hmm. Um, television shows, media, even society to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. You know, more kids, more money. You know, yeah. depending on your socioeconomic status, um, and it becomes that becomes your your identity, which is I cannot I cannot have, nor should I desire the traditional nuclear family mm-hmm. model. And that becomes, yeah, that becomes somebody, people's reality. I can't tell you how many single moms I know um, who are married and they're just, I never thought this would happen to me. Yeah. (laughs) I never thought, why? Because they believe that line they operated in. And when you don't believe that there's someone who will want you enough to put a ring on your finger, you act out. You act that out. Yeah. You never grow up. (laughs) And then I think that kind of the higher echelons of society are teaching like this is okay. Right. Like, and you're going right. to be okay. Mm-hmm. Like, if this happens, and we're telling ourselves we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I feel like it's a lie that people are believing. And I mean, I see it in our church and, and others, um, and just in society. And it's like, man, people, mm-hmm. like, they realize, like, oh, gosh, this is a bad idea. Not, yeah. not that kids are a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it's very difficult and it's harming people. Yeah. I mean, and it's not, it's not the original design. Yeah. Obviously, God in a fallen world, it's not possible always for everyone to be raised in a two-parent home until they're ready to go out and be on their own you know that is the ideal and we live in a world that's less than ideal but to replace the ideal you know that's Mm -hmm. the problem you know where it's just like let's replace the ideal with what we feel is the new ideal Mm -hmm. which is single parent home uh uh homosexual couple parenting mm. uh kids b- 
being able to declare their own independence whenever they mm. want to declare their own independence, yeah. like, that's just not the ideal, and that's the problem. You know, the problem yeah. is, like you said, you know, we are. I think those are lies, and here's why I bring those up: is I feel like all all of those things that you have said mm-hmm. are lies that really people a lot of times the people who are struggling, mm-hmm. right? The people mm-hmm. actually with their backs up against the wall yeah. are yeah. being told, yes, and are believing, yes, yes. Um, that's that's why I, I bring that up is is like those who are on the lower socioeconomic status. Those te- seem to be the people, from what I've read and from what I've seen, that are believing those lies. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at who does the best economically, they're actually married couples mm-hmm. um, of whether you're conservative or liberal or whatever, however you fall on the category. <laughs> people who do better economically mm-hmm. tend mm-hmm. to be married. Yes. And ha- if they have kids, they have them within the context of marriage. Yeah. Now we're seeing, right? We see celebrities and all these sorts of things getting divorced and all those. But if you actually look at the actual data, right? The, the people who are at the kind of higher echelons of society, when they get married, they for the most part stay married mm-hmm. um, and they have kids within wedlock. Mm-hmm. But however, they tell people right. who are kind of on the lower economic status that like you can you don't have to do this. Yeah. yeah. Like, and obviously I'm not for making people stay in any relationship or whatever. That's not my role. Um, it's rather to shepherd them than what I think Jesus would do. Uh, but to, you know, encourage certain behaviors mm-hmm. that aren't really good for people in the long run. Yeah. And like, we've all bought, like tons of people are buying this lie and then living it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think is damaging. It's extremely. Um, yeah, because I remember you dropped that nugget on me on off air last week. Mm-hmm. Was just like, yeah, all these people who are trying to promote this new morality are living within the old morality. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. people who are trying to promote uh, destroying the nuclear family are not willing to give up their nuclear family and stuff yeah. like that. And you know, Herman ta- uh, Thurman talks about that. He talks yeah. about how you know those. He kind of echoes something that Frederick Douglass uh, says. Um, he says those with power are not going to give it up without a demand. And, you know, a lot of times that just kind of speaks to, you know, this, that need to deceive. It's the need to deceive because I know I am not in power. Mm -hmm. And because I am not in power, you know, there's only so much that I'm going to be afforded or given. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for them to receive that message of, oh, yeah, you you guys don't, don't know. Don't worry about nuclear family. Don't worry about. Uh, American dream, don't worry about college, don't worry about any of this other stuff um, because I already feel beneath you. So I can receive that better than you telling someone of your peers that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, you tell your peers, you know, that stuff, they're gonna they're gonna reject you. Why? Because they yeah. understand everything that you just said. No, yeah. wait, this is this is how we're setting up our kids and our grandkids. Or they've even deceived themselves, like the people who are staying married, having mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. whatever, who have moved up the economic ladder. Like they've deceived them. I think they actually believe like it's okay for people not to do these things yeah. while they themselves do them. Yeah, exactly. Like, and don't see the benefit that they've gained from them and the benefit other people would have right. if they applied really what was simple. Uh, what would you say? Old. Well, you said something, you, you, you said it really well. Um, 
know, like like old, oh, I don't know, old morals. To, I, I don't know, you said something like old or oh, yeah so whatever take, but, to take yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um so yeah, yeah man. so yeah those, that's a good question man and that's a, that's something that you know the great thinkers such as ourselves we need mm-hmm. to ponder that stuff because that's the question that's what i'm taking out of this chapter and read. Mm-hmm. what are the lies mm-hmm. that our congregations are believing that individuals yeah. are believing that our society is believing that our country is believing, that our world is believing, that's kind of impacting everybody. That is a very powerful thing because, you know, and, and what what is it that started off as a lie to defend myself or mm-hmm. a lie to, you know, to get through or to make it through something yeah. um, that, you know, we may have adopted. It's yeah. true for me. Yeah. A profound yeah. question. Well, the second thing he says here that we kind of run into is second alternative um, or another way basically to deceive mm-hmm. um, or be deceptive is you juggle various areas of compromise. Mm-hmm. And so yes. this, that's kind of what I meant by like going to the back door. So let's say like, I think this is what he means. And again, um, if you think he means something different, let me know uh, that basically, yeah, you're making compromises of what kind of you're, you're, you're willing to do and not willing mm-hmm. to do. So, for instance, like in reality, like you feel like you're an equal to the person's door you're walking up to, but you go to the back door um, to avoid mm-hmm. uh, um, to to avoid confrontation. Yes. In that situation, and so you make you you just figure you've you've figured out or you've decided what is worth compromising on and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I mean, I, I think people do that every day. I mean, we're doing COVID policy, like, you know, like, um, I'm on my mask on right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, seriously though, you're like, you're trying to figure out like, and, and and so, um, uh, yeah. So So to speak to that, uh all right. So Carter G. Woodson, what he was saying when he says, you know, having someone go to the back door, he was talking about someone being so conditioned. Yeah, no, I'm not talking about you getting that wrong. Like, I think oh, I understand okay, what cool, you're cool, saying. I'm just okay, talking cool. about now. I'm just using it yeah. as an oh, example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And a, a different in a different context. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. They're no. definitely. Seeing I have no idea what Carter Will Woodson <laughs> said. I think you understand him 100. <laughs> percent I just didn't understand on the front end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I think yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, there there does come a point of. We're on the sliding scale. How far will I allow it to go in terms of self-deception, deception, or deceiving in order for survival? Um, I, I and, and I think that's one of the conflicts that you see happening with um, the clash between nonviolence and the more radical in the civil rights movement. And you can kind of see that almost just in everything from you know the civil rights movements to even church and church policy and you know, uh, so in the civil rights movement, it's like, okay, how long do I have to endure what my what my dignity does not want to endure mm-hmm. in terms of being humiliated and doing sit-ins and you know doing how long that that how long do I endure that? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the nonviolence they say, look, you endure it all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. The radicals are not yeah. <laughs> up to a certain point. Um, you see that there, and even you know, switch the context a little bit. You know how long? You know, and this is a this is a this is a touchy subject mm-hmm. when it comes to the church. 
you know, how long do we do that when it comes to the scriptures and reference to things like what we said earlier, sexual immorality? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like yeah. at a certain point in time, if we can be honest pastors, yeah. you know, there's a little bit of survival instinct that kicks in. Oh, especially right now, there's a yeah. huge survival instinct that kicks in mm -hmm. because culturally, what at least, and maybe you feel like this way, maybe you don't, um, culturally, our backs are up against the wall. <laughs> if if yes. you take the the yes. traditional approach to towards sexuality, yes, and, and so it is. What can I say <laughs> um, yeah. without feeling the cultural wrath, whatever that might look right. like? Um, in and out, not necessarily in the church as much as outside the church, yeah. really, mostly outside of the church right now. Um, yeah. So go ahead, continue on. No, but that, that yeah, I, I, I was hoping that you would, uh, mm -hmm. that would, uh, arouse a, a statement out of you because that's, yeah. that's an example of it as mm -hmm. a church. Like we constantly mm -hmm. have to, cause the reality is what we want to do, not you, maybe you personally, mm -hmm. but what the church wants to do is what we feel we're called to do. And let's draw a line in the sand. Yeah. This is right. Yeah. This is wrong. Yeah. Society is so much better if we stay on the side of right. We just want yeah. to be able to say that. Yeah, we just want to be able to say it. And also do it in love. Not like, hey, yeah. we hate everybody on this other right. other side of the line. It's just we feel like God has called us mm -hmm. to uh, proclaim that this is the way he designed humanity to live in relationship with one another. Right. And model that. And model that. Right. That's all. Like, yeah. uh, But we can't even do that. Yeah, and we we actually we, you weren't there yesterday. We had a discussion among a bunch of ministers. Karen was there, your associate, okay. and ministers who disagree on, on certain subjects uh, with what would be called the traditional view, um, probably of human sexuality in relation to the scriptures. They did admit, like, and did say, like, we could not have this conversation out in the open because you all would get blasted like <laughs> like you know yeah. one of the things i brought up yeah, yeah we didn't invite the newspaper here for this conversation yeah. because it they would have made us basically out to be angry bigots mm -hmm. <laughs> um which whether it be human sexuality or any issue like i'm not angry about anything yeah like but we can we, the church does feel like we can no longer even have a conversation nope we have been totally excluded mm -hmm. Unless we are willing to compromise. Yeah. If you're not willing to compromise, you can come, but just be prepared for the flack that's going to come after you say your bold statements on yeah. human sexuality. Yeah. And yeah, so this that's a perfect example of us, you know, and that's the question and that's the fear. Like mm -hmm. how how what is going to happen to the church? If we continue to out of survival compromise, yeah, will we still be the church? <laughs> yeah, and that was actually kind of one of the things I was saying in the in the in the conversation, yeah. right? We again, and maybe I'm wrong. Like I'm I'm willing to like learn. That's why we're having the conversation. But at the end of the day, we as the church are called. What we believe as ministers is we're called to proclaim God's word. Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's popular or not popular. Uh, and um, we are to do that to, to the best of our ability and allow God to kind of work out the consequences mm -hmm. of it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't use wisdom and when we share and what we share and how we share or anything like right. that. Um, 
but yeah, it's that's an area where I think every church and every pastor, to a certain extent, is trying to figure out how to best yeah. address and shepherd their people. Because there is a there is a an impulse, I think, for all of us, which is rightly there, to not want to be overly harsh or to want our people to become what would be like modern day Pharisees mm-hmm. or people full of hate or animosity yeah. or whatever. Because that there has been a history of that to a certain extent within the church. Um, it's easy, right? It's right. easy to become uh, 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 angry about any issue or dismissive of any type of person dealing with any type of, uh, I don't know, thought or action or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Um, and so it's not like that doesn't exist. And and what would be considered a, a more, what I call historically, biblically minded church, um, while at the same time, you can't not address right. you can't not address certain issues if you're gonna just even if you're just pick up the New Testament and start teaching through like right. Jesus talks about sexuality a good bit mm-hmm. he does um, and he's not on compromising with it no no <laughs> not at all you know yeah um, but and and you know I just pulled that out of the air but mm-hmm. there's so many different areas where pastors preachers churches where we do have to compromise for survival mm-hmm. you know yeah. now no pastor wants to admit that yeah. but behind, you know and, and but you know they're not gonna admit that from the pulpit mm-hmm. but when they're talking behind closed doors can man i really wish i could i wish i could say that i, I yeah. know if i said this it's just so funny like there was a point in time in church's history where the average lay person operated out of fear of the church mm. And that pendulum done swung completely. It has, hasn't it? <laughs> we were, I was talking about that with another church leader this morning. He's just talking about another kind of leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, he was, uh, I'll tell you this, he was, he was on a panel. Mm-hmm. He was a white leader on a panel with a bunch of black pastors. Mm-hmm. And they said something. I, I'll just tell you, and this is, they basically, we said years ago, and we were actually at, a, at an event like this ourselves where this kind of happened, that anyone who voted for President Trump needs to to repent stand up and repent right now um well it got around and and that's a whole can of worms we don't need to get into that but i got around i to, don't agree with that just yeah, in case so, anybody was wondering yeah so <laughs> but so this it, get, it comes around to this the only white leader that's there the only yeah. white pastor that's on the platform yeah and they kind of ask him a little bit about it and he 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 used to be a politician he, ah. he's 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 brilliant okay um but you can tell he used to be a pot tells a story mm-hmm. spends seven or eight minutes just talking never answers the question mm-hmm. right um but like in that moment he's just trying to survive mm-hmm. like he's, <laughs> he, he's trying to get out yeah. of there like yeah okay how do i not make yeah. everybody who kind of follows me who's white or, or who voted for president trump feel like yeah. i hate them or feel like they only did it out of an immoral impulse mm-hmm. And how do I also, right, continue to sit up here with uh, my black brothers and sisters who feel betrayed, yeah. potentially? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, like, what do I do, right? Yeah. So, I'll I'll talk in circles talk for yeah, I'll talk around <laughs> it for you know a few minutes. I'll tell a cool story or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I can't say like, is he, I, I'm not nearly as eloquent as he is. But I can't say I haven't done that or, you know, haven't been in that situation or whatever. You're just trying to preserve, like, your livelihood or your 
your ministry yeah. or your integrity as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just don't have time to address like right. all the nuances of everything. Um, so I think that that happens. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, we're, it's interesting. Like if mm-hmm. we were to go back five, 600 years, I, no. Yeah. <laughs> like there, this is not a concern. Yeah. I say what I feel the Bible wants me to say. Exactly. And you're going to fall in line or yeah. you're going to be burned at the stake. Yeah, because you know what <laughs> happened after that event is his organization lost a bunch of money. Wow. Yeah. So like you said, like mm-hmm. because of what went on, mm-hmm. um, the people voted basically with their pocketbooks and yep. said like, hey, wait a second, like what happened? And so um, it's just... It's inter- it's it's a it's something that we all in ministry and outside of ministry mm-hmm. deal with yeah. and, and try to figure out and you know and even I don't know I'm sure you've thought this myself like this is not the this is not the right impulse as a pastor to have right when you read through the gospels and, and Jesus telling us not to worry yeah uh, about what we'll wear or what we'll have or what we'll eat or, or whatever that he takes care of the sparrows and so forth Thurman talked about that last week. Um, but to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So that's what Jesus says. Well, even as a pastor, I've thought before, like, man, if I just had the money, or if I knew, right, I wasn't dependent, mm-hmm. what, what on finances, what would I say? Yeah. Or, hey, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job saving, investing in retirement. By the time I hit a certain age, I'll be able to say whatever <laughs> I want. Like, you know, like. Right. I mean, um, that's real, man. You know, and not care. Like, okay, church, you don't want me? I'll, that's real. I'll, you know, I'll go to another church that's or I'll, I'll like start yeah. my own, like whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and I don't really think like that as I approach the scriptures right now. But like you have those thoughts sometimes or even the, the preaching moment. I'm sure I've been restrained mm-hmm. from saying what. And, and some of that's good. Like, because mm-hmm. I feel like if I haven't thought something completely through, maybe I shouldn't say that. Um, and it sometimes does matter what other people think because you're, it helps you think through other positions. Um, uh, so that can be, it can be a good thing, but yeah, we, yeah, we sometimes us. compromise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is us. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, and, 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 I, and I, that's the beautiful thing about the way that Thurman writes. Like, obviously he's writing to equip people to deal with the injust social injustices mm-hmm. but the stuff is so profound it can be universally applied yeah and that's just an example of it like everyone from the african-american in the time period he was writing 30s and 40s that was in jim crow south mm-hmm. this is the truth that applies to you to 2021 two pastors talking about we can't say what we want to say yeah. half the time um because of the exact same thing yeah yeah. And it's funny, I find like, and maybe you have this too, I'll have people like in the church who be like, Josh, you just need to say whatever you want to say and stuff like that. And a lot of times they're the very, they're the, they're the people actually that I, I probably would offend, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. half of the stuff I would say, mm-hmm. yeah. like, like, no, you would actually be really upset if I said everything I wanted to say all the time. Oh, like, yeah. you would you would cheer this on over here, right. but when I said this over here, you'd be ticked. Like, yeah. you know, like, yeah. so it's 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 an interesting thing. But yeah. so then Thurman gets to like the third alternative. So mm-hmm. there's so basically you deceive all the time. You just become a deception. The truth really doesn't matter. Um, and then there's compromising. 
and uh, trying to figure that out. And it takes, he talks about how even compromise takes tremendous skill. Yes. Uh, and it's really exhausting, right? You know what it's like in ministry if, if you do that on a regular basis. It's exhausting um, and it's not helpful. Um, and then he talks about the third alternative, it's 59 in my book. He says, complete and devastating sincerity. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> tell the truth. Like, tell, the, tell truth. the truth at all costs. Tell the truth. Tell the truth at all costs. And I remember I've been trying to apply this to my life. Now, I don't really give too much ear to, um, you know, media figures. You know, I don't really lend mm-hmm. to them too much ear that they're like, professionals and stuff but oprah winfrey was being interviewed once and no a lot of people who work with oprah who became successful um they were being interviewed and they was like you know what is it that she's taught you and they all said the exact same thing and she was like be true to your authentic self Uh be true to your authentic self and that really convicted me now obviously she then come up with that all truth is God's truth. And uh-huh. It's very true. Like you have to be authentically who you are in order to be great. Um, in order to be what God wants you to be. And that's what was like screaming at me, you know, when mm-hmm. he was like, just stop like stop yeah. being deceitful. Stop deceiving. You're destroying yourself. Um, because you know, the reality is we are happier we are our, our happiest selves when we are ourselves. Yeah, and I think that's what you know for for those who are in the civil rights movement and those that he was going to be motivating in civil rights movements nonviolently. It's like, look, as bad as you feel right now, don't think you're going to feel worse because you're persecuted. You're going to feel better because you're being who you genuinely are. Yeah, you're going to feel better when you stand up and say, "No, I'm not a boy. I'm a man." Yeah, you're going to be you're going to feel better if you tell the truth than if you deceive. Than if you deceive, man, and that was just powerful. Yeah, that's a real powerful revelation. So yeah, another pop culture reference. Um, we talked about this last week. Jordan Peterson's Twelve Rules for Life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the rules is tell the truth. Yeah. Like, like so. These are transcendent. These are transcendent uh, uh, values yeah. uh, to living a fulfilling life. And now Thurman gets these from the transcendent one, Jesus, right? right? And he said the, the idea when Jesus is asked. Um, how you should speak and he says let your communication be yes and no mm-hmm. like your no be no and your yes be yes anything more than that is evil <laughs> he, he, you know and um and so he yeah he he's a proponent of telling the truth um and and these sorts of sit in these sorts of situations or whatever and kind of allowing the chips to fall where they may uh, yeah and I, I think there's something there's definitely something to that right Extremely, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, because you know, and and because he says that is when, you know, and this is the very last page, very last chapter, you know, when we can kind of just stop deceiving ourselves. It works both ways. Like when you have the those with their backs up against the wall, when they stop deceiving themselves and stop saying, "I'm less," and we have those who are empowered stop deceiving themselves and say, "You know what? I'm not better than you." Mm-hmm. You know, now we have relationship. He yep. says it at the very last two sentences. A man is a man, no more, no less. The awareness of this fact marks the supreme moment, the supreme moment of human dignity. And it's just like, man, it's simple. 
<laughs> like, if you think about it, I mean, I know it. it's one of those things where I'm not going to say it sounds so simple. It really is so simple. But we all would have to value the exact same thing. Yeah. The idea behind sincerity, I think, is I think is very important for us right now because if you allow one of the things he talks about, one is two, like when it comes to deception, we can't deceive God. Right. Right. He talks right. about that. He goes in the hundred thirtieth, hundred thirty ninth Psalm, mm-hmm. um, where it just talks about God knows everything yeah. about us. So deception does not work with God. Right. Um, and his point as well is that deception actually does not work with other people right. to get the outcome that you think it'll get. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you may, you may survive for another moment or you may get what you want in that moment, but long term, uh, as an individual and as a society, deception is destructive. Yeah. Uh, eternally it's damnable, like, yeah. because God knows, <laughs> right, right. God knows it, and, and you, it, and so no matter what you believe about hell, whether it's something you kind of choose and end up at or, or the type of person you become to have or you are destined to hell, you're sent to hell by God because of your, because of your sin. Um, either way, like this gets you there. Yeah. Like because you become the type of person who would never choose heaven, you're going to choose hell because you're a liar, you're a deceiver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or you, right, you are damned to hell because you're a liar and you're a deceiver <laughs> and God knows that. Like, yeah. um and uh, we're just going to talk about all the fun issues, right? Hell, everything. Um, <laughs> right. But that's kind of the, the point there. Yeah. And then the point even on human relationships. And so, Brendan, before we even started, one of the things that I said is there's this line here that I so appreciated um, uh, at the, the third to last paragraph or second to last paragraph here. The second last paragraph is the two really long paragraphs mm-hmm. of the of this chapter, and he says sincerity in human relationships is equal to, and the same as sincerity to God. Mm-hmm. If we accept this explanation as clue to Jesus' meaning, we come upon the stark fact that the instance of Jesus upon genuineness is absolute. Man's relation to man and man's relation to God are one relation. Mm-hmm. When I read that, what I, I thought about some of our conversations and even our relationship is what I've appreciated about you is that you've allowed me to say what I want to say, ask what I want to ask. Um, and right. I'm, I'm sure maybe I've hurt your feelings or maybe you feel like you've hurt mine or, or whatever, or maybe not at all. Like, I don't feel like you've done that to me or, or, but part of, I think, obviously it's black history month. One of the, one of, one of the things I strongly believe. So this is a long way to get to what I'm about to say is that, the, the church should be multicultural mm-hmm. and the church is getting to be more multicultural in the United States, but it hasn't been mm-hmm. to a certain extent because of our he- history and because of our past and because of our inability to learn and listen to one another. Uh, and there's, it seems to be a cultural movement right now or a branch of the culture that says you get on my program, right? And you can only say these things and you mm-hmm. can't say these other things. Here are questions you're allowed to ask. Here are questions right. you're not allowed to ask. And to me, like that just doesn't work for a genuine relationship because now if I'm being told that like I can't ask certain questions, that I can't challenge certain preconceived notions or whatever, now I'm being told like, I'm not a man, right? Right. Like I can't be sincere. Yeah. Um, and 
I don't, I'm not the type of person, like, I think I'm right about everything, but I also am willing to listen to everybody to find out if I'm wrong. Yeah. Like, so when I say I think I'm right, like, I think everybody should, should talk in a way, this is just me, this is my personality, in which they think they are right with the humility of listening to somebody mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. so that their mind can be changed. Yeah. Uh, it's the idea of like, okay, sharing what you think is true and allowing the other person to share what they think is true mm-hmm. so you can get to the truth. Yeah. And so you can be in a real relationship. Mm-hmm. So I you agree. can know, like, this is what I think or feel about this situation, this group, this uh, issue. Um, and here's why. And then, like, and, and, and then feel safe enough to where that person it will sincerely respond mm-hmm. with also how they think, feel, or, or whatever about a situation without being written off or saying like, hey, yeah, you're not allowed to ask right. that question. You're not allowed to say that. Like, you're not, you know. Um, does, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, man. I mean, because, like, you know, so, yeah, thank you for that. But mm-hmm. um, for, you know, the, the sincerity, you know, God showed me a long time ago, that's, that's my ministry. It's rare because, like you said, you know, everyone should feel I'm using a different word. Everyone should feel conviction mm-hmm. behind what they yeah. are saying, you know, mm-hmm. because if you don't speak with conviction, then why are we talking? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're just repeating, you know, other people's stuff, but they, they, then there's, I can just go talk to or read the book, you know, yeah. but what's the conviction inside of you? And until I know what your convictions are, I don't know you. Yeah. You know, I don't know you as a person. I know what you really believe. And, to be in a position where you're willing to have those beliefs exposed for the purpose of challenge or even sharing, um, simple, simple sharing, you know, that's, that's what creates true, genuine relationships and change. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I can appreciate that. And that's just what God's called me to do in the season, man, just give people the room to talk and to express and, Challenge what needs to be challenged. Mm-hmm. Learn what needs to be learned. Accept what needs to be accepted. Um, because it works both ways. Like, because like I'm learning. You know, mm-hmm. man. A lot of people ask me to come in and talk about these issues, but I'm learning too. Like, I'm. Yeah. You schooled me last week after we got off air, and I'm like, man, I gotta get, I gotta get this semester over so I can get this <laughs> book. <laughs> you were schooling me, but it's yeah. just like, man, the perception is, and this is what I've talked to a couple pastors about recently. It's like there's this perceptive that the white Christian, I'm not even going to use the E word, mm-hmm. but that the white Christian is this monolithic group. Yeah. And that's just not true. Yeah. And that's what you guys, your the white church is dealing with every time you walk into a room and say, I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. And it makes it difficult whenever you walk into a room and you know those implicit biases are just jump on you before you even open your mouth and say a word. Yeah. yeah it's going to make the opposite of what we desire is going to cre- create the environment for the opposite where y'all just say, you know what, we don't, we don't have nothing. I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel conviction. I don't want to feel persecuted. So we're going to close our doors. Y'all do y'all thing. We do our thing. Everybody fine. We get along. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, that's necessary. These conversations are necessary. And you're a rare breed guy. Um, guy, you're, you're rare. Like I, I have some guys around me. And you're one of those rare guys where it's like, I want different (laughs) i'm not you know i mean obviously you know with the way that our world has went and gone 
you know, we are comfortable with who we're comfortable with and, you know, and that's fine. I don't believe there's inherent sin in that. Um, but when you are of the majority culture and you have found a level of comfort in the majority culture, it's the pull of God and you responding to the pull of God to say, let's get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in Talmadge, let's have podcasts where we're talking about Howard Thurman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, you don't have to do that, and that speaks to your uniqueness. Black folks always want to talk about this stuff, you mm-hmm. know, what I'm saying with the right with the right audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but for you to make that choice because you want to learn, you want to educate your church, you want to educate your children, you want to be uh, a factor in potential change, that speaks volumes about you, man. Um, so yeah, that sincerity piece is definitely something that is not easily given always, but it's something that I wish we could get back to, especially we as men. I'm watching, um, I'm watching the crown on Netflix Mm -hmm. and you know, this John Lithgow playing Winston Churchill. I was listening to him talk. I was like, man, I wish men talked like that today. Huh, I haven't seen it. So, oh man, it's great. My wife's been wanting to watch it, so maybe I should say, yes, she's wife... in school full time too, so she, okay. we don't have a ton of time to watch TV right <laughs> it's now. It's great. But, yeah. I mean, I love history because mm-hmm. I first I thought about it. I'm yeah. going off on tangent now, yeah. but I first I thought I'll cry some little princess thing that yeah, I, that's I, what I was worried about. Yeah, marriage and scandal. <laughs> no, it's like the accurate historical account. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah. it's like an accurate historical account of uh-huh. Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, so it's like the points when Winston Churchill was talking. I looked at my wife, I was like, man, I wish. We talk like that. When you listen to Martin Luther King in interviews, I was like, man, I yeah. wish we talk like that. Yeah. And what were they doing? Being sincere. Yeah. Simply. They and were it, saying what they believe. And, and so I think, the po- I, to me, when I read this chapter, the main point, whether you're in dominant culture or not in the dominant culture, or whether you're dealing with racial issues or any issue on this, that the the best, the best thing you can do is to tell the truth mm-hmm. and to be sincere. Or I think it's going to make things worse. Yeah. And I actually think things are getting worse because I do think there have been insincere people on both sides of, of the racial issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's 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 made things worse uh, because people don't feel like they can have sincere conversations with one another anymore yeah. um, and won't listen to each other and, and won't hear what people right. have to say. Um, I'm not saying people need to agree with everyone. And I obviously have an opinion about a lot of different things, like what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but b- n- just whatever it is, whether you like the outcome or not, whether you like the data, whether you like the, whether you like some, like what is true? Yeah. What are people saying? Are you allowing them to tell, do they, do you, do, do you, do people feel like you are someone they can tell the truth to? Yeah. And that's the hard part right there, because uh-huh. I'll be honest, a lot of black folk, um, for whatever reason, it's not mm-hmm. a single reason, yeah. but for a lot of, for whatever reason, and some reasons are good, we don't want white people's sincerity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't. Um, we're either not equipped to deal with the sincere answers, or we are not healed enough to deal with some of sincere answers. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember we did a discussion like this once, or we did like a discussion at our church, a little group. I mean, and some of the answers or some of the questions that 
were being asked by white brothers and sisters to the black brothers and sisters, man, they it was it was getting our black brothers and sisters enraged. Huh. Yeah. yeah. So and that's where that's where it takes understanding that I have to be willing to handle and take the sincerity of others. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard saying, you know, yeah, I'm, it's hard hearing. Honestly, I'm just not comfortable around that. Yeah. Like, that's just hard to hear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because of all of the societal baggage that comes with it. But guess what? That's somebody being sincere. Yeah. That's someone being honest. I've never yeah. been comfortable around black people. Yeah. And I, I think a black person could say who grew up around primarily black people or whatever, or are um, maybe uh, uh, cautious about being around white people. I think they could say the same, mm-hmm. like potentially to a white person, and somebody might get offended or or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and a white person would be like, "Oh, why?" You know, like right, right, not right. like just get upset. Well, I'm not racist. Like, well, you might not be. Like, you really might not be racist. Right. Like, they, but that's how they feel, right? So let's let's yeah. figure out like why and let's listen and be sincere with one another their share experiences and all those sorts of things and um so yeah yeah man. well thanks for being here again today awesome this is great hanging out and talking yes sir uh, well howard thurman and thanks for listening if you made it this far <laughs> of course Oops, stop <laughs>